Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. My guest this morning is my boss, um, the new CEO of the Institute of Race Relations, uh, John Endress. John, are you with us? Welcome. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Right. Apologies for that break, um, but we seem to have sorted out the problem. John, do I have you? Morning, Sarah. Yes. Good. Um, I introduced you in your absence as our new CEO, so I'll, I'll go straight into it now. Uh, you and, and our outgoing CEO, Franz Cronier, did a, have done a presentation on the, uh, do, you've done a strategic analysis of 2021. And I thought it would be an idea to present some of the issues to our listeners. And perhaps the first question I'd ask is what you would regard as seminal events of 2021 that have, will have an impact not only on what happened in 2021, but will have an impact going forward. Well, uh, looking back at the year, I would identify two really seminal events. The one were the July riots in KwaZulu-Natal and parts of Gauteng, um, which I think really demonstrated the extent to which the state is receding in its capacity and ability to maintain law and order. Um, but it is on, not only in that area where the state's capacity is receding, but also in many other areas. Um, you know, it's from, from issuing licenses such as driver's licenses or firearms licenses to many other areas of state activity where the, the, the state really isn't doing so well at the moment. And I think that is a trend we're going to see continuing over the next few years. And the other seminal event of the year was certainly the local government elections. Um, they were uh, a watershed in South Africa's democratic history for three primary reasons that I'll, I'll name. The first is that the ANC for the first time dropped below 50% in national support. That is something that has never happened since 1994. And it is quite possible that this is a one-way street for the once so dominant uh, governing party in South Africa and that this is a dip from which it will not recover. Secondly, uh, what I thought was very important in these elections is that the EFF did not manage to break out of its 10 to 12 percent uh, band. It has been stuck there since uh, being founded, uh, soon to be a decade ago, and uh, that is in a way quite encouraging because the EFF presents, I think, a clear and present danger to the democratic development of South Africa and, of course, to its prospects for greater uh, um, prosperity and progress. And the third important development was that the smaller parties managed to really increase their share of the vote quite considerably. If you look at the 2016 local government elections, the smaller parties, and that is all the parties except for the ANC, DA and EFF, managed to get a combined 11% of the vote. And in this year's elections, they managed to get 22%. So they doubled their share of the vote. And I think that fragmentation or, or a moving, uh, shifting of the, the, of support to smaller parties is also something that we're going to continue seeing in the, in the next years, uh, in the run up to the 2024 elections. The Institute has come up with a concept of the old buffalo and the wild dogs as a consequence of this, uh, of this election. Mm-hmm. Would you sort of expand on, on what that concept means, particularly for the 2024 elections? Mm. So, so the idea here is that um, we're, we're trying to set uh, the political dynamics of the country in a visual image that makes it easier to understand what we're looking at. 
And the image we chose is one of a mighty old buffalo that has dominated the savannah for many, many years and rules over all its surveys, but has become a bit uh, dangerous to the other animals in the latter years of its life. It's accompanied by a small calf, and for many years, analysts and commentators looking at this have been asking themselves from where a lion would emerge to take down the buffalo. Um, and so you can imagine uh, people looking behind trees and under bushes and uh, waiting for a mighty lion to jump up out of the grass onto the buffalo and take it down. And what these latest selections showed us is that there is no lion. But what there is is a pack of wild dogs. Um, so there's a, a collective or a group of, of, of smaller um, hunters who now have the buffalo in their sights. They can see that it's uh, getting a bit old, also becoming a bit vulnerable, maybe not quite as strong and powerful as it once was. Um, and this presents an opportunity for the wild dogs. If they can get the scent and understand that they have a big target to aim for, um, clearly no single one of the wild dogs is in a position to take down the buffalo. They're too small for that. But working together, they would be able to do that. And uh, that is the situation we think we're, we're looking at in South Africa at the moment. Um, for a long time, the question was, you know, who will emerge to take over from the ANC one day and to replace it in power? And people looked at the, at the DA as being the largest party and then were very upset when it didn't uh, break through the 20, 25, 30 percent. Um, you know, its, its growth seems to have stalled in 2019. Um, but as a matter of fact, it might not be that there's a single party that uh, takes over, but that it's rather going to be a coalition, an alliance or an assembly of smaller parties that realize they have much in common despite their differences. Um, and certainly the prospect of being able to take power is something that should animate them and motivate them to work together. Um, I've, I, I think Franz Kroenier was fairly emphatic about the, there being essentially no way back for the ANC. I assume no, no way back up to 50% and above. I've read a, a couple of articles recently that take a sort of different view to ours that said that it will not be easy to get rid of the ANC, uh, that despite all its uh, misgovernment and missteps, it is it still attracts support, even though increasingly its support is simply not voting at all. Um, mm. is, is that likely, given the fact that things constantly are going down, increasingly down the sort of hill of, of, of poor performance? Mm. I mean, you know, you, you try to read the indicators and then draw conclusions from that. Um, and I think on that basis, it was also that the Institute of Race Relations has been expecting um, the ANC to lose power either in 2024 or 2029 and has been saying that since 2012, which was a long time ago. And at that time, it probably looked really unlikely. Um, and I think that this view was widely dismissed at the time. When we looked at the ANC today, um, we see that it is really in a very weakened position, um, you know, that uh, staff members haven't been paid for many months. Um, I believe it is now five months. The state itself has run out of money. We're running huge budget deficits. Um, the debt is accumulating. The debt servicing costs are growing very fast. Uh, we've run out of electricity as a country, um, and it's just all over. It's a, it's a picture of retreat and weakness. And at the same time also, the there isn't really an indication that the ANC – uh, is feeling confident and self-assured, which is what you need to do um, if you want to attract significant votes. But if you're looking 
um, dejected, demoralized, and weakened, um, you tend to, to lose votes. You just tend to, to drop your share of the vote. So I think all these signs make it pretty certain that uh, in 2024, the ANC is not going to strengthen by then. Um, I think that's, that's, that's almost a certainty. But at the same time, this doesn't mean that somebody else is going to take over from the ANC uh, in 2024, because it is, of course, quite possible that the opposition will not be able to work together and will instead uh, squabble and uh, fight uh, amongst uh, each other, amongst the smaller parties, thereby leaving the field wide open for the ANC to continue in power, maybe in a coalition with, with other smaller parties, um, past 2024. But this outcome would really be a result more of uh, opposition weakness than ANC strength. So at the moment, uh, the, what, what, what it's shaping up to be is a situation where the opposition parties really have everything to win um, and everything to play for. Um, but it does take a bit of uh, strategic focus and a bit of concentration and a bit of uh, discipline in order to get to that point. Uh, any lack of discipline or focus at, at this point, I think, is going to be fatal to, to that effort. I want to look at another issue that isn't a seminal event in the, in the sense that we've described, but it becomes a seminal event uh, of, of immense concern, and that is that a few weeks ago, the unemployment rate, the extended by the extended definition, which is extended mm-hmm. to those who've given up looking for work, is nearly 47 percent, and 77 mm-hmm. percent in the 15 to 24 age bracket. Um, there was a there was an article in the Sunday Times by uh, uh, Colin Coleman, who was the former Goldman Sachs CEO, Southern Africa, and um, he he was basically saying we need. Pact. We we need to create. We need to put. We need to stimulate the economy to encourage training, to encourage the retention of employees instead of retrenching them in, because things are bad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, my sort of non-economic brain went to the idea that he said there's money for it. I'm I'm not so sure. And the other mm. thing he said that I, I was really but concerned about was he said. We all know that we need policy and fiscal change. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yes, we all know, except those responsible for the policy change, and that is the government. Mm. Well, I think, you know, the natural inclination of the um, governing party is to address or try to address problems with more intervention. And that is an approach that doesn't really work in South Africa. Um, so we've really got a very large state, a very um, powerful state, a very interventionist state, and it is it, its interventions that have led to the, the, the crisis that we face. Um, you raise the problem of unemployment, and I think, you know, that, that really is, I think John Stearnhausen called it a, a humanitarian crisis, which it is, because many people, you know, are not only out of work, but they've been out of work for many years, and they've got no prospect of finding work because the policy environment is not one of uh, conducive to a growing economy. And the problem here for the ANC is that the kinds of changes that are needed to get the economy growing are bitter pills um, that it is, I think, incapable of taking. Um, It would mean things like abandoning the threats to property rights encapsulated in policies such as expropriation without compensation, which is being voted on today, at least the constitutional amendment is, 
It means um, abandoning the idea of prescribed assets, which would mean using private savings to fund state infrastructure projects. Uh, it would mean abandoning the national health insurance uh, and finding a better way of ensuring universal coverage. It would mean abandoning cater deployment and race-based empowerment policies and really focusing on merit uh, to make sure that whatever um, roles people perform in the economy are performed as competently and as professionally as possible. That is currently not the situation we are in. But for the ANC to make these changes would really mean abandoning uh, core parts of its, its identity as a, a socialist and revolutionary movement. Um, and, and I think because it is so closely tied to the ANC's identity, it simply cannot make these changes. So whenever the government talks about reforms, you will notice that they are mostly related to uh, increasing the role of the state and trying to spend your way out of trouble through um, employment programs, through skills development programs, through massive infrastructure investment pro projects, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But ultimately, you know, we've got a, a, a pretty incapable state which is beset with corruption, and expanding the powers of such a state does little to improve the economic and social situation of the country. Um, my, my, the, the thing that, seemed that, that I struggle with is there seems to be an inability or failure to understand that jobs are not created for jobs' sake. Mm. Jobs are a consequence of an enterprise, be it public or private, that needs people to staff it. And as, as if, if organizations do well and they expand, they need more and more people. It, it's not a process. It's not – they're putting – the by trying to create jobs out of nowhere, they're trying to put the cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. um, is, is this a sign of, of desperation or a sign that really don't understand how things, how things, how things roll? I think it might be a, 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 a bit of both. Um, and I think you're quite right. You know, creating jobs is very easy. Um, you can just pay people to dig holes and close them up again, and then you've created a job. But that's not really the kind of job that advances an economy because it is not productive. Um, and the state, I think, specializes in creating non-productive jobs, especially through employment schemes, and they are not a sustainable way out of the unemployment crisis that we face. To address that crisis, really, the private sector has to create jobs, and for the private sector to create jobs, it needs to see value in the people that it employs, and, you know, there, must, there has to be a, a prospect of profit at the end of it, otherwise companies are not going to do it. And the policy environment we're in at the moment makes companies fearful uh, of employing people. It makes them fearful of investing because they are not certain that their property rights are secure, that the policy environment is conducive, and that they will not be targeted by the government uh, in some form of expropriation, be it, be it regulatory or, or, or statutory. So we're really stuck at the moment, and I, you know, there's, I don't think there's a way past it without those bitter pills that, that need to be swallowed, need to be taken in order to get the economy growing again. And that is something I think we're not going to see with the ANC because it's too closely linked to its identity as a revolutionary socialist movement. I think it takes a political change if we are uh, hoping to see those policy changes. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. John, I want to ask perhaps one last question, and it might be a little bit unfair given what you've told us, but we yeah. see a huge immigration wave of people taking their skills and their know-how elsewhere uh, because of the obvious concerns for the direction the country is going in. Is there anything yeah. you could say to those people, say, don't, don't go, hang on here? 
Yeah, I'll make two two main arguments there, Sarah. Um, and I think the one will be the the grass is not always greener on the other side argument. Um, so many of the countries you know, people are going to are facing problems of their own. Uh, as somebody pointed out recently that uh, housing prices are very, very high in many developed countries. And you're unlikely to be able to afford the lifestyle that you can living in sunny South Africa. And that is a factor that remains true despite the, the trials and tribulations that we see in our politics and economics. And the second reason I will give is that 2024 reform perspective. Um, so I think the next three years are going to be quite turbulent, maybe a bit hair-raising. Um, but if you've stuck it out this far, um, you know you can stick it out a bit further. And uh, in 2024, if the opposition coalition forces manage to hold it together, we might see sweeping reforms introduced of the kind that can really get the economy growing again. And that would make South Africa a very interesting country to be in in the second half of the 2020s. And I think that prospect is, is one worth aiming for. John, um, as, as we would say on GFM, from your lips to God's ears. Mm. <laughs> Thank and you. Uh, you can wish me luck because as I leave this program, I'm going to the licensing department to get a new driver's license. Ah. So, uh, uh, so I <laughs> Good luck, Sarah. Hard. Thank <laughs> you very much for coming on and giving us that perspective before we go into the next year of challenge. Thank you very much for having me.